you might get a nurse who is totally supportive, like has gotten a lot of rest, the sh- you know, before her shift, who is treating this like a sacred opportunity, who is available energetically and physically, you know, all the things, or you might get one who is, you know, spread really thin, working with five other women on the same floor, and going to trigger your abandonment wounds, right? Like, we could get either thing. So we talk about those realities and coming to terms and coming to peace with this decision, right? And knowing that anything is possible in this space. How do we try to know everything and then release the control over it? And that's the kind of like psycho-emotional work and radical self-responsibility that has to be done in pregnancy. It's not just taking a Pilates class and a birth class and taking the right vitamins. It's like, how do we do all of this psycho-emotional work to prepare and also be at peace and trust and surrender to the process? I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig certified nurse midwife, and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hi, I'm Ayla Cuenca. I'm a birth doula, birth educator, and birth trauma alchemist. I'm based in Miami, Florida, and I am here to serve families and women everywhere. I have never heard that term before, and you just definitely highlighted the topic of this conversation. You're going to have to explain to us what it means to be a birth trauma alchemist. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, I started working with this term about three years ago when I was in a postpartum visit with one of my clients and we were there to address breastfeeding concerns. Um, But naturally, as you both know, when you're in the postpartum space, things arise that you didn't anticipate and you just go with the flow and see how you can really alchemize what's coming up. Um, Sometimes in birth, we call that reframing, right? Or cognitive reframing maybe. And so Instead of helping her reframe it or to give her a different perspective, I just allowed her to, invited her to, um, you know, flow with what had come up. And then I just intuitively started asking her questions like, you know, why do you think you felt led to do that? Or why do you think you felt led? Or why do you feel that this arose in this way? And, you know, what kind of strength do you find that it gives you now? And what would you share with other women if they were to ask you about this experience? And what kind of drive does it give you now? And so we started seeing how the wound could become the gift. And then that's when I started anchoring in the the birth trauma alchemy phrase. Um, and that's how I started working with a lot of my clients postpartum. And so over the last three years, it's really involved into this um, framework that I offer. You know, sometimes women come, you know, 10 years after a birth and just say, I, I felt compelled. Something doesn't feel right, but I want it to feel right. Like, how can we make it feel right? And so that's the that's the phrase I use. I love it. I mean, if there's one one thing that we really, truly know about a woman and her birth experience, it's that she never, ever forgets it for her life, like her birth experience and how she was made to feel in her birth, not necessarily the details of what happened, 
but how she felt through the experience, how she was treated, whether or not she felt empowered or not, respected or not, that sticks with her. And not only does it stick with her for her life, but it also informs her initiation into motherhood. Right. I mean, I always think of what people say about kids when you want to take them to travel somewhere and they say, why waste the energy and resources? They're not going to remember anything. And sure, they might not remember walking through the Colosseum, but they're going to remember how they felt. And they're going to remember the connection that they had with their family unit. And that's why you're investing that energy. So it's because the body remembers. And that's the same with children and women in birth and pretty much any experience. The details are almost irrelevant on a certain level. It's about how you feel. We've also noticed that by doing birth story processing sessions with women, that sometimes they want to book the session within a few weeks of giving birth. And when they do that, I usually encourage them to potentially wait a little bit longer because whether they're aware of it or not, their emotions are going to keep evolving and changing tremendously over the first six months or one year. So they're still in that state in the beginning of overwhelm, of trying to remember all the little details. And they will on their own process many aspects of it. And then over the months that follow, there are these sticking points. They find themselves thinking about over and over in the middle of the night when they're going about the activities of their daily lives. And we find one of the most important goals of those sessions pretty early on in the session is to start naming the emotions. And one thing that's become very apparent to me is that when women suffer birth trauma, they can experience completely different sets of uncomfortable emotions. They're not all feeling the same stuff. So for example, um, if you look at the category of women who don't plan at all, they're the women who say, I just trusted my doctor. I did what my sister did. I did what my friends did. And they experience trauma. There's a lot of guilt and self-blame. But when women plan and they read everything and they work hard and they take their childbirth class with the right instructor and they do all their practice exercises and their yoga and their meditations and their chiropractic and they hire the right provider and then they experience a traumatic birth. They're not feeling the self-blame. They're sitting with the incredible uncomfortable feeling of um of like feeling kind of like a victim, feeling like it how did something so unfair happen to the woman this wasn't supposed to happen to in their mind. I did everything right. Yeah. So I, one thing I find just so interesting is just learning to have the respect for the fact that all of these women suffering trauma are really feeling unique emotions. And they also are shaped by the people around them because some of them have families that are just trying so hard to fix their discomfort that they just end up feeling more guilty because they're always being reminded that they ended up with alive at the end or with a healthy baby in the end. Right. Where to, where to turn, right? And then they feel guilty that they're even complaining, quote unquote, right? Yeah, they're ungrateful that they, you know, why why can't they be happy and grateful that they are alive and they're healthy and the baby's healthy and, you know, barely making it out is not really the goal, right? That is the other thing that we know for certain is that women's feelings about their birth are so dismissed because of this concept that at the end of it, a healthy baby is the most important thing and everything else is just sort of like 
a nicety if you if you feel good about it. Like, oh great, totally. that, that was great. <laughs> I see those but, slogans in, in the hospitals here in South Florida. Healthy mom, healthy baby. It's almost like that that goal is like just being imprinted in the subconscious. And so it's like whatever it takes to get there. Um, even if I have to self-betray or even if I have to suffer and sacrifice, I'll do it. You know, it's either or, you know, it's almost like an either or. Let's talk about that a little bit, because that is certainly something we see in the premise of our entire work in this entire podcast is that a healthy mother and baby is not all that matters. So I want to go up to those signs in the hospital and I want to put a knot (laughs) in that that slogan. It's it's the most important thing and it's not all that matters. So it's just so complicated. It's right. like the first thing that you damn well better achieve, right? If that's, if that's it's right? the bottom floor, it's, it's like the bottom the baseline, floor. right? But there's it's so like, it's like getting married and saying like, may this partner not abuse me and otherwise you're good. You're in a good marriage. You know, yeah. it's like bare minimum is great. <laughs> right. Right. Let's be happy for it. Just be grateful. Yeah. 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 Well, a lot of women will say that like, you know, my marriage is intact. I have a beautiful baby, you know, wasn't able to breastfeed, but at least my baby took the bottle. And, you know, I have a, you know, a family that supports me and I just don't know why I feel this void or I feel like I keep repeating or replaying the events of my birth. And I love that term you use, Cynthia, of like the stuck points that when you do process with your clients, you, you kind of hear repeat stuck points or maybe phrases. Um, And so we go a little bit deeper, right? Into like, well, would you, you know, if you didn't really feel aligned with your medical provider, what kept you there? And it's like, well, you know, he was nice enough. Like he would, he would be supportive. The visits weren't very, visits weren't very long, but you know, he, he said he would help me get to my goals and it was such a pain to change. And my friend worked with that doctor and my sister also birthed with that doctor. So what I start to notice is that there's like this good girl um, complex that's starting to reveal itself to me, which obviously it's not a judgment. It's just what it is. Like most of us have a dimension of that. And, you know, we're all girls in this society that so we were all girls in the society at one point. And so we start to unpack that a little bit. And what I start to see is that the source of the self-betrayal of staying with a medical provider that really wasn't aligned with that woman was because she never learned how to ask for what she wanted. And going even further, she never really had a solid sense of self-worth to begin with, right? Like at the core of her being, she didn't really believe that she was worthy of having everything that she's ever wanted for whatever reason. Yeah. And also there's the category of women who really trusted their doctors. They do have good self-worth and they ended up feeling totally duped, betrayed. The last woman I spoke with going over her birth story, those were all the emotions she felt. She just felt like cheated, betrayed. This wasn't at all what you told me would be happening. Um, You know, it started with when she went into labor, she was working with a couple of midwives she loved from a birthing center Um, and when she went into labor, she called them and they were like, oh, right. Well, neither of us is on call this weekend. So there's actually a third backup midwife. And she was just like, what? Like I grew so close to both of you. You never told me there was ever, ever going to be someone else. So it began that way. And her whole birth was just a series of just like, what? And she had beautiful self-worth and took beautiful care of herself and went through the effort of leaving her obstetrician and hiring these women. 
you can't, this is what's so uncomfortable about it. I mean, when you care about women, it's just, you can't, you can't preempt everything. I knew a woman, I've told this story a few times, um, but I had a woman who went into a hospital in Connecticut years ago and uh, she, she, she too was prepared. She was doing great. Everything was fine. Her husband was racing to get there and he never made it. She ended up having a quick natural birth. But when she arrived, there was a guy literally like um, mopping or polishing the floors in the lobby when she was checking in and he glanced over and said out loud, somebody needs an epidural. And she said her entire labor, these words were just playing over in her head, needs an epidural, needs an epidural. So in the, like, it, this is where it's just unfair. She did everything right. And it, it doesn't even matter in a way that she quote, ended up with the birth she planned on having her whole story now was this guy, this random, as, as unimportant as a soul can be in your life. He made the comment that became the one comment that sustained throughout her whole birth. Just right. Right. And this is one of the elements that I always discuss with my clients or my students who are trying to figure out where, you know, how to map out their birth and how to select a birthplace and how to select a birth team. And I really emphasize the importance of who's present, what's the story they're bringing and what's the story they could project into your birth space. And so we're, we're dealing with that with people we know. So when we go into an environment of a lot of unknowns in public, right, a hospital lobby is a public place, generally speaking. I mean, it's private property, but it's open to the public. And so you're going to encounter things like that. And so it's like, it's it's a shame that we have to think so much and strategize so much to figure out where we're going to have the conditions that are going to support us in the best way. And even though she did have the the birth she wanted, she put herself in a situation of unknowns just by leaving her house. <laughs> we right? all do, even when we don't leave our homes. There's always a category. Trisha was an unknown at my birth. Right. I, mean, I had never met her before. Was she? Were you, Trisha? Were you a backup midwife? I, I was the uh, assistant midwife. <sighs> but yeah, I, I think I don't remember if I was like a backup for somebody that night or not. But uh, right. yeah, I don't recall. If her t-shirt hadn't said Yale midwifery at your cervix when I first glanced at her, I'm not sure what I would have thought of her when she walked in. <laughs> she, she was just wearing the perfect t-shirt. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that one all worked out. But, but so, so then, it, so then is it a question of women, you know, how do women learn to take such radical responsibility for themselves and their experience and their minds in birth that, that none of this can phase them. Like, what about the woman who has to walk into uh, her local hospital and give birth because she lives somewhere where there are no other options? There's no midwives in the area. There's no no lovely birth center. There's not a selection of a dozen midwives to choose from. She's got the local hospital OB and like, she wants the birth that she wants. And how can she take such responsibility for herself and her experience that she can potentially achieve that. Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. 
When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw-cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com. And cherry on top, you guys can use code DOWNTOBIRTH at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E dot com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. Yeah, so I had a client who... I like to share stories because that's kind of how I <laughs> answer these questions. But I did have a client who was in a similar situation in Canada. It was her only option was to go to the local hospital. And so what we talked about a lot was the reality of the environment. And it's not like we're looking at the worst case scenario so that you can start to manifest the worst case scenario. It's We look at the realities of that environment, right? It's 50-50. You might get a nurse who is totally supportive, 
like has gotten a lot of rest the sh- you know before her shift who is treating this like a sacred opportunity who is available energetically and physically you know all the things or you might get one who is you know spread really thin working with five other women on the same floor and going to trigger your abandonment wounds right like we could get either thing so we talk about those realities and coming to terms and coming to peace with this decision right and knowing that anything is possible in this space. And so I think that's where if you feel like you're limited in your birth options for whatever reason, like geographically, financially, whatever it is, how do we try to know everything and then release the control over it? And that's the kind of like psycho-emotional work and radical self-responsibility that has to be done in pregnancy. It's not just taking a Pilates class and a birth class and taking the right vitamins. It's like, how do we do all of this psycho-emotional work to prepare and also be at peace and trust and surrender to the process? And sometimes it can help to have a doula or a birth attendant or a husband who's very present because they can also validate that things are changing in the birth but that you still have the same consistent support, even though things are changing. And, oh, this is what we talked about with Ayla. Oh yeah, see, now we're seeing this and now we're going to flow that. So it's like having that support person is also valuable, you know, and, and that's where I, I come into some friction with the free birth movement is because women historically were not birthing alone in this way intentionally. And there is something to be said and really valuable about having consistent a consistent support person or or uh, containment throughout your process because when things do change when when um, memories come up when past traumas come up which they do during the labor process very often to have that grounding containing factor like an educated supportive partner or a doula can make or break the whole thing sometimes so. Yeah, I would say it's about just getting the lay of the land and then coming to terms in peace with the option that is the only option you feel you have. Do you think that women are setting their expectations too high for childbirth today? Like, is there this idea that, you know, every birth or or, or a woman's expectation is that her birth should be this incredibly quiet, peaceful, undisturbed? I mean, I, I agree with all of these things, that these are the things that we want our birth to be, but is there a balance between having these very high expectations that birth is going to be this perfect experience versus reality of what birth sometimes is? I think that's a really good question. And I think it's the difference between birth is going to be the perfect projection that I have or birth is going to be perfect for me. Right. You know, I ponder this a lot too, because in hypnobirthing, which I've been teaching for years, but I've never stopped challenging, questioning, and at times disagreeing with certain little tenets involved in it, just little minor things sometimes. And I'm free to, I, I freely talk about those things with my clients in hypnobirthing. You only visualize the birth you want. I mean, religiously, you only visualize the birth you want. And I had a client once who ended up with a C-section and was very grateful. She took the course because she still felt very prepared because a C-section, you still use all the techniques. You still visualize, you still breathe, you still relax your physiology. You still then put your emphasis on bonding, you know, but she did feel like I didn't, 
I don't know if it would have been better for me to also prepare to have a C-section because it was so unknown. So I'm always grappling with that myself. I mean, I do think just when I study anything spiritual, I do know that we're more likely to achieve the outcome we visualize. So I do think I lean much more toward visualizing that birth we want than, well, I don't want to be more disappointed later. So let me just even think about if everything goes to hell, you know, I don't think that serves us either. It's a survival mechanism that traumatized. Adults. Yeah, but I, but I, but I still can appreciate the question that Trisha posed and I have grappled with it. What do you think, Trisha? What do you Yeah, think? I don't think we, ha- I don't think we necessarily have to envision the outcome that we don't want. I think we have to know that, you know, there is an element, as we always talk about in birth, there is an element of unknown. There is an element of there, we can't control every aspect of birth. We can do our best to prepare, but we ha- it's, it's sort of like going on the path of focusing on the birth exactly the way we want, but also not being too attached to all the details along the way. Like we, you know, for example, the woman who had the comment about the epidural, like, can we find a way to be so committed to our birth that a comment like that just goes in one ear and out the other, or the 10 people walking in the room in the hospital don't, they don't really get you out of your birth zone. Whereas if we're so held tightly, so attached to this candlelit room with absolute peace and quiet, and we can't control all those other variables, you know, that are going to, that are going to inevitably come into our space. And we can control that a little bit more at home, sure. but still not a hundred percent. Just like Cynthia said, I could have been a loud, noisy birth assistant, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's a great point. And I think the mantra is I'm going to have the birth that is perfect for me. I'm going to have like the that. Birth that is perfect That's hard to swallow for a lot of women though, as you know, right. And, and when they feel like they didn't, it might, you know, they might get to a point of, they'll, they'll get to a point of acceptance, but it's, it still feels so unfair. It feels so painful. And and what I do believe is when we look back on our own painful life experiences, for me, they often become my absolute favorite life stories. I don't know why, but like, I think because we change so much after our painful life experiences, and it's very little consolation to say to a woman who's sitting in her trauma, well, this is going to enrich you. And 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 expand you the rest of your life later she will experience that and appreciate it but it's something she's just not able to hear now or appreciate now it's like g grade like i you know i took one for the team spiritually just so i can end up a little wiser i'd rather have the good birth it's i'm i'm always grappling with every aspect of our conversation yeah we all are right yeah it's, and i i don't think women reach out to process the birth until like their higher self or their soul or their subconscious is, you know, screaming and ready for the alchemy. And so someone who is really deep in the grief, like is not at at that point yet to have the conversation um, where radical responsibility is claimed. And I, I really, I, I can't subscribe to like, this is happening to me. I, that's just not my life philosophy. Um, You know? And so I ask I ask women like, you know, because our consciousness and our mantras that we're speaking are just 1% of our actual body and our actual consciousness. Like the subconscious is really who's at the driver's seat. And so what is the subconscious belief? You know, what is going on under all of this? Is there, is, are you actually focusing in the subconscious on your fear of the C-section, you know, and is that what's actually manifesting? Not the like, 
10 word mantra you've been repeating over and over again, you know, hoping that it just takes. So how do you access that? Like, how do you get to that? Because that's, of course, you know, most people are thinking that if they're doing good subconscious work, they're repeating their mantras, they're posting their, um, what do you call those? Affirmations. Affirmations. And they do work too, because you can change beliefs. You know, that's how smokers quit smoking. I mean, we, yeah. we can change beliefs with effort, but yeah, the subconscious is driven. You There's have, a- to, it's called the law of attraction. Like you deeply are pulled toward what you're seeking. And sometimes what we consciously believe we're seeking isn't what we're unconsciously seeking. Exactly. Right. So like I've been deep into Abraham Hicks for so long. And sometimes I share it with my clients and they'll say, I'm really having a hard time saying that thing. Like, I just don't believe it. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so let's look at why that's so hard. Go ahead. And the, the concept there is that you have to, that it comes from the feeling, right? It's not right. the exactly. It's, it's It has to start in the feeling and then the thought changes. Right. So we go to what's the real feeling when you say that thing that you don't actually believe you're like, this is BS. What's the feeling that's coming up? Well, the feeling is that everyone's going to disappoint me. And so how when I'm saying they're here to support me, I am loved and supported. It feels like BS because I believe everyone is going to disappoint me because they always have. I've always had to do everything myself for myself since I'm a little girl. And so (laughs) it's interesting. I had a client um, a few months ago and the, the phrase that kept coming up was, yeah, and the nurse was incompetent. And then the doctor, the backup doctor came in, they didn't know what they were doing. And I had to go in and I had to stand up and I had, so her belief, her entire pregnancy was that people were going to disappoint her because everybody has her whole life. So there is an opportunity to repattern these kind of like open loops of traumatic beliefs, right? In the pregnancy, if you want to really prepare yourself, you can go to that feeling, right? When you're trying to say that mantra and it doesn't feel aligned because there's this other feeling, let's do a deepest fear inventory. Let's just go to the fears and let's deal with those first before we try, you know, putting the, the powder sugar on top. What's like the stuff inside? And so when we look at the fear, I have a fear that that no one's really going to show up for me at my birth. And so we somehow we sometimes have to go to that kind of like ugly place, you know, where we have to revisit with the parts of ourselves that are wounded, mistrusting, feeling abandoned, um, feeling dropped, feeling lack of connection. How do we restore that before we then start, you know, going into these words that are meant to change our beliefs? We have to go into those feelings and actually expose them first. Is there a most a most common, most frequent theme that you see in your birth trauma processing sessions amongst women? Yeah, actually, I was just talking to someone about this yesterday. Um, the most common theme that I've seen when we start to dig in to like when we we do this like reverse engineering of the birth when we do the 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 birth trauma processing sessions, and what it mostly comes back to is unwanted touch from an early age. And that could be like having to, you know, hug and kiss family members when you say hello at a gathering and you didn't want to, but you were told you had to in order to be accepted and liked and that you were rude if you didn't, or, oh, she's shy. And then she's forced to give a hug, you know, to grandma when she didn't want to, to something more, you know, um, seemingly intense, like actual sexual violation or molestation, right? One One in three children are molested. So one in three children. Yeah. I picked up that stat in 2020. I was like, is that in the U S or globally in the U S 
Oh my God. That's and so I used to be a guardian at litem for the 11th judicial circuit in Florida. So I, I managed a lot of foster cases and this is like where I, this is really where like the advocacy for, for children came alive for me that just transferred into advocacy for birth because I was like, I can't walk into these homes and write reports and give them to a judge. Like, where does this begin? Like, I need to go back more because like, I'm not making change here. They're so all what, human rights violations. That's I I agree with you so much. My heart is in exactly the same place with these abuses ha- happening to kids. Yeah. And you when we ask ourselves why, it's like because this is all a matter of human rights. It's all a matter of of personal safety and personal freedom and uh, and autonomy. It's all the same thing. It's all the same thing and so so prevalent. When, and all the births look different when we talk about their births. However, when we get to the core of why I stayed with a medical provider that I didn't really trust or why I let them do this, why I didn't speak up, why I didn't honor my birth plan, why I chose to birth here and not at home. You know, my family thought I was crazy for doing home birth. So I went to the, you know, hospital. So like we, when we start to trace it back, we usually end up accessing um, unwanted touch at the origin of their story. Well, even in the last one you mentioned, it was like, you trust, you're trusting your family's judgment more than your own. Yeah. I've I've often said to clients of mine, and I've observed that, um, we often don't really become adults or stand in our adulthood until we go through birth and become parents ourselves. So you often have pregnant expecting women and their partners who aren't really quite arrived yet as being men and women, you know, they still might raise their voice at the end of sentences and have that, that tentative tone. And we must go through these life experiences to really stand in it. They're not, they're not the person they will be 10 years later, able to go speak to a school principal about some kind of um, something they object to, right. To be their child's advocate. They're still feeling psychologically and emotionally under their parents' reign somehow by trusting their parents more than themselves. So I think that that's sometimes where it is for people. Cause a lot of, a lot of home birthers have that, their families aren't comfortable with it. You have the, you have the, you have the women who say, well, then we're not telling our family. Oh my God. I know you have a lot of those. And then you have those who just don't have the home birth because of it. Well, so what the child, so this is, this is where it comes down to, right. Where you defer to your family's judgment over your own or over yours and your husband's judgment. Again, the unwanted touch. Well, I'm having this feeling. I'm I'm drawing a boundary, and I look at mom or dad, and they tell me, "No, it's okay. Make the contact." Okay, so I, I have to self betray because they're telling me it's safe, and then I don't feel safe, and so it's very confusing. And so that starts to compound over time into our preteens, teenage years, and of course into early adulthood. Um, you know, and so I'm not saying this is the at the root cause of all birth trauma, but for right. me and my little small petri dish of people, uh, this is the most common um, origin story that I see when we when we when we process birth. Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique, comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia Cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, 
and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, and they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com and use your promo code DOWNTOBIRTH to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms. Do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code down to birth to save 15%. And are those are women actually saying to you, they're like reporting to you that in their birth, they were just uncomfortable with the doula's touch or their partner's touch or a vaginal exam, or are they, is it coming up in other ways? It's coming up in other ways. It's not so obvious. It's not so literal. It's not right. like, oh, you know, uh, they touched me and I didn't like it. And then I'm like, oh, it's because there was unwanted touch at age eight. It's like, well, you know, I I didn't really get, I didn't really have the connection I wanted with my midwife, but I kept going. And then she didn't, she wasn't even the one who came. It was the backup. And then I felt really betrayed. And then, so for me, there is an opportunity there to look at, okay, why did you self-betray in the prenatals? Why didn't you say, hey, I'm not feeling this connection. Let me go find another midwife who I feel more of a heart connection with, who I feel more containment and security with. So that's why I say there's an element of lack of self-worth, asking, expressing what you feel you're worthy of, what you need. And then there's also this feeling like my instinct is telling me one thing, but I'm just going to stay quiet because I don't want to be a bother to everybody. I don't want to switch care at 30 weeks. Like, I don't want to annoy my husband. I don't want, you know, so people People don't know how to leave their providers. They they feel that, you know, it's rude, it's impolite, it's asking for my records is going to upset somebody. How do I how do I explain while I'm I, leaving? I can't help but to keep thinking of the providers who really um seduced her though. Like she really did was willing to leave if she had to. Trisha and I hear from countless women on Instagram, you know, I don't know how many it is, but it's often hundreds in a day or God knows how many in a week, but we heard a story from someone recently. I don't even remember who, but the story stayed with me where she said she had this wonderful home birth midwife Mm. and 12 hours in the midwife started getting irritable. And she made the comment and said, well, my other, my other moms give birth a lot quicker than you. So I think we need to give, I know I can't believe it either. Honestly, it's unbelievable. And it's, it's so upsetting. I can't even imagine if I had been in labor and my midwife. The old bait and switch. I mean, yeah, that that's what I'm talking about. So many women didn't betray themselves. They really hired well and they stick you. And the thing is, and I'm always saying this above all, you have to hire someone. Yes. That you trust. And second, someone who has a high emotional intelligence. 
And no one with a high emotional intelligence uh, would, would make some of these comments. And then it's like, I didn't see this coming. Like, whoa, I can't believe they just said that to me in labor. Like you're thinking, is this who I'm really putting? I'm putting myself in this person's hands. And you didn't quite see it at the prenatal because birth is such a, a, a longer and more intense and more intimate experience with the person. Right. So, yeah, there's like a question of like how to further vet someone in the prenatals, how to ask questions, you know, working under pressure, you know, there's, there's a parentification that happens with our medical providers, whether it's a midwife, a doctor or nurse, like anyone who has really keen expert authority on a subject where we, where we need them, there's a parentification that happens naturally. And so if we come from emotionally immature parents who do not have emotional intelligence, how as a woman, can we really read when this parentified figure is emotionally intelligent or not? That's true. It might just fit smoothly with what they're comfortable totally, with. Like, this life. is the devil I know. Exactly. They don't even realize it consciously. It's really obvious and easy to pick up on some of the major big red flags that we talk about. You know, if you get a take a childbirth education course and you learn that if your OB says starts talking about induction at 37 weeks, 38 weeks, you know, early in the pregnancy, like there's some really identifiable, obvious red flags that might push people to, to change right. providers. But we're talking about these more subtle little yeah. feelings of just like, just lack of connection. That's a really subtle feeling that most people wouldn't take seriously enough to change providers. They would just, that's just kind of how they feel in relation to new people. So Sure. And that's, that's the child who, who was the caretaker, right? Who in order to get connection with a volatile parent or, you know, a parent who would withhold love based on performance, the child would have to kind of caretake and perform. And so the midwife just showing interest, for example, and her experience feels like connection when it's really not authentic connection with integrity that lasts. So there just might be a perception. So this is where women are invited to visit with the parts of themselves. And you might not even know what those parts are. You might be like, I feel whole, complete and healthy and happy. I'm content with my life. And so you could use these prenatals as an opportunity to see like, okay, how does my body feel when I'm in the presence of this midwife or this doctor? Is there, if I have an impulse to say something, do I say it or do I withhold because I'm trying to manage and strategize with this person so that I don't upset them? Oh, okay. You're caretaking. Okay. So there's an opportunity here where we can unpack the caretaker. And then maybe once we do a little bit of that work, then we can revisit finding a medical provider. It's so much, it's almost so much more simple than we make it. It's well, that's perfect. Yeah. We also have to remember we're all from metropolitan areas and we have choices. places and right. we live in an enormous country with, with millions of acres of farmland. And for the women who live on the periphery of those areas and States, they sometimes right. have no option, one option. And we've met those women too. And, um, Boy, what they must be listening to this thinking must be nice to live in a big city with all your options. I'll go with this provider over that one. It's such a big country, you know, it's so it's such a vast audience. Well, I live in Miami and when I was pregnant, I felt like I didn't have very many options yeah. for yeah. free care. I mean, OB care is like there's two OBs I would say are amazing. <laughs> and I've met a lot of OBs. Sorry guys, but the the midwives here, I really felt like I only had three choices. And three is a lot, three's decent, right? 
And so I went to the first one. I feel like it's you. (laughs) I went to the first one and said, well, now I'm down to two. The first one, I was like, well, now I'm down to two. Went to the second one. And I remember I was seven months pregnant and in a prenatal, I was asking some questions and she said, you sure ask a lot of questions. She's like, how does your husband feel about that? And I was like, what? You're fired. Wow. Yeah. I just know. I just, I I called that night. You must be an annoying wife. Yeah, totally, totally. And I was like, all right, we're done. Like, I don't, you know, and then I was like, I'm down to the last one. (laughs) And so I switched care to her and to this midwife. And it was like, you know, it was fine. It, It checked the boxes. And that's when I said, well, this is where my husband becomes the connection that I need. This is where I really view this woman as just a gatekeeper who is providing the safety that I perceive that I need. And I am not relying on her to hold the space. I'm not relying on her. And she was also pregnant and had morning sickness at my birth. And so she kind of naturally phased out of the physical space and energetic space. And it was really just down to my husband and I, but I had the assurance that I needed at the time that there was someone with medical expertise in my home. So I had to rearrange my expectations. There's a lot of management of expectations that can happen. But what I did is that I recruited my husband as the person that was going to walk with me, you know, and and in birth, you really are walking alone. You just have the support. No one's going to do it for you. But I recruited him to, to, to meet the needs that I felt that I had at the time. Coming back to birth trauma, I just want to, I want to mention one more thing that I want listeners to be aware of and think about. Uh, we were doing a session with a woman a couple of months ago and she was processing her story with us. And I don't, as we say, we don't remember the details. We remember the emotions. I remember feeling for her. She was crying. She was processing a lot, feeling a lot of regret and self-blame, but she really did a lot of things she intended to do. She really advocated for the bonding that she wanted. She really asserted herself a couple of times, but people kept betraying her or letting her down. And she had to do more fighting and defending than she anticipated. Um, When we were, when she was like coming toward the end of her story or toward the end of the session, I remember she said, well, this baby really, this birth really kicked my ass. And I remember I said to her, hang on a second, you're going to tell this story your whole life. And the way you frame it and the words you use are going to become the story. I'm sitting here listening to every detail of your story. And I never thought this birth or this baby kicked her ass. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, she asserted herself more than she ever thought she would have to. And she still did it anyway. She's aware of these emotions she's feeling. You know, she's had that well of emotion crack open as it does for us after giving birth. I had, I was feeling so much respect for her, but she described it like, well, this kicked my ass. And I said, hang on, let's not put a title to it. Let's not label it. Just sit in it. Just become still with it. Get to the point, maybe months out of acceptance. Just let it be. Let's not look for how to, how to describe this whole thing. And if you do look as to how you're going to describe this story, the rest of your life, choose those words really carefully. You can, you can, you can position it however you want. You can say, I had no idea. Like you can look at your little baby and say, look at how we persevered through that. Look at how we did that. That could be another choice than saying, boy, that really kicked our ass. Yeah. So I think that women have to be just very aware of language 
Yeah. Um, yeah. As they start to distill their story into words. Words are spells for sure, <laughs> you know, and um, what I would have said, I mean, just from the little you've told me in that moment is like, we, I experienced probably the most significant reclamation of my voice that I ever have, you know, in this birth, <laughs> like I reclaimed something that I didn't even know I had, um, you know, thank God that I can, I have this capacity to use my voice because what if I didn't, then they would have taken baby and done that, you know, like there is a way to reframe that and to use. And so that's why it's, it's helpful to have a mirror, right? Like the way that you do in these sessions with your clients, it's almost like a mirror where you can say, well, that's not what I see. I actually, what I see, <laughs> what I'm reflecting back is that you reclaimed a part of yourself that you might've never reclaimed had you not had some of this tension and intensity in your birth. Um, you know, there's, there's women who have no fighting, no nothing, no points of contention, no struggle in their birth. You know, they got their epidural, baby came out 10 hours later, um, you know, baby was separated because maybe there was something they had to do, didn't see baby for an hour, then, you know, breastfed for a little bit, but then baby needed bottle. And everything seemed like, you know, there, the woman's like, I, I didn't really feel like there was anything wrong, but I just feel very disconnected, you know? And, and she's trying to figure out like, what is this inside of me that doesn't feel like it's connected to this experience? Everything was fine. My doctor treated me with respect. The nurses was, you know, they were fine. So it's like in those situations, I'll just say like, I feel disconnected. So sometimes we don't have to go through, it's not until later after the birth itself that we start to see where we didn't show up for ourselves. We, we reclaim ourselves in postpartum sometimes, you know, maybe a year later where we say like, I was checked out for that experience. And then I became this like really mama bear um, mother who, you know, started showing up differently for my baby who got reconnected with my baby and my body. And so sometimes a really passive innocuous birth can actually dredge up some stuff that we didn't know was there too. I'm not saying every woman is traumatized at her birth, but I'm saying every woman has an opportunity to take whatever birth event occurred and use it to create something new for herself as a woman, as a mother in the aftermath, in the postpartum, in the years later. And so even, I mean, for me, I had a pretty awesome birth, you know, at home with my husband and I still pull from that experience a lot um there's like you know there's there's things that came up my unwanted touch as a, as a girl you know came up where my labor stalled and i was like i don't feel you know and it was still a great birth so there's always an opportunity is the point for us to get a lot of reclamation and you know beautiful juiciness for life alchemy Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. 
Yeah, that was exactly what I was referencing about like maybe, you know, our expectations are just in the wrong place for birth. Maybe they're not too high. Maybe it's that they're just in the wrong place. They're in the wrong place to make it look like an Instagram post. And then they're in the wrong place when we think it's women screaming in the hospital in Hollywood. It's like, those are the two wrong places. (laughs) So I was like, let's like figure out how to get women somewhere in the spectrum here. (laughs) And what I'm taking away from this conversation is that how critically important it is for every woman, not just the woman, not just the 30% of women who have birth trauma, you know, like identifiable birth trauma, but really for every single woman to continue on the journey postpartum in processing her birth, because it is a growing transformational experience. 